0: you need no doors to find God. If you believe... Believe? If you believe, my dear Francesca, you are gullible. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a God who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. They rule this world. There is also love and life and hope. Very little hope, I assure you. No. If a God of love and life ever did exist, he is long since dead. Someone, something, rules in his place.
1: Hello, and welcome to a spooky Vincent Price-themed episode of Trash Future, that podcast you're listening to right now. It's me, Riley Vincent Price, uh, and I'm here joined by uh, Alice Vincent Price from Glasgow. Yeah, go
2: Vincent Price. Vincentina Price.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Vincentina Price from Glasgow. Uh, (laughs) milo uh, also vincent price in an undisclosed location yeah it's me
0: uh ersatz vincent price who tells you no no i'm kill him i'm the real vincent
1: price (laughs) and 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 Corey vincent price doctor who we're very pleased to welcome onto the podcast calling in all the way from california Corey, how's it going
3: uh very well burbank california to be specific
2: Hmm, spooky Burbank.
3: Spooky, <laughs> spooky You know what? We have three year round goth uh stores, Halloween stores, and like a Ouija board museum. We live in the goth district, man. It is spooky burbank. That's that's Damn. perfect.
0: That's a utopia. That's so cool. I find it myself is. I enter the Ouija board museum and find myself being moved
1: around it by mysterious force. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that'd be such a cool Vincent Price movie. If I could bring one person back from the dead, it would be him.
3: Mm. Call it the IDO motor You know, I am staring at my life mask of Vincent Price as we talk about this that I bought from Tom Savini at a science fiction convention once. Oh, that rolls. Oh, it's one of the best sentences I've ever heard. Uh, we
2: love Vincent Price here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to, like, this is a problem, though. You have I'm, to introduce. Yeah, you, you, you have to introduce <laughs> Corey twice to, so, like, people who pretend not to know who he is.
1: Uh, Corey cory doctorow is a uh digital rights campaigner he works with the electronic frontier foundation and also he's a science fiction author and we're going to be talking about a uh a few ways in which this uh, dystopia we find ourselves living in continues to be a f- whole ass dystopia however before we get into all of that interesting stuff about technology the future and the way in which history is being written before our eyes in terms of uh uh, uh, terrified tech overlords and mergers and acquisitions and stuff, I'm afraid we once again need to do our
2: breaking news segment. We have to talk uh, about Britain, the dismal country. Yes.
1: It's first, 1st oh, we're no. going to talk about Britain, where uh, we all currently live, and Corey, you lived for quite some time. Um, Britain, I believe, is now the world epicenter of the doing twee horse shit to fight against the coronavirus uh, epidemic. An, um, an epidemic, epidemic of, of its own. <laughs> Indeed, The
0: epidemic of keeping calm
1: and carrying on By being completely Mm. unhinged (laughs) It sucks, it fucking sucks I've got a few I've got a few examples of what's going on Uh, Matt Hancock, favorite TF Labrador Has, well we thought he introduced New green and blue pins To recognize carers' efforts In lieu of, you know, paying Mm. them more Because when he was asked Should nurses get a pay rise For putting themselves in harm's way he was like, now is not the time. We're focusing on pins. Now is the time of
0: pins. <laughs> Matt, Matt Hancock is the only Tory minister with a brain simple enough to accidentally do something. Like, yes, we're going to do this pink triangle that you pin on your coat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just no, nobody uh, tells him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so, like, it's cool.
3: Um, Corey. But you safety pin it to your <laughs> Co- coat. So you get oh. to eat.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, he's there's a little pin that's it's one for uh blue and one it's green. The green ones for carers, the blue ones for nurses. And instead of getting a pay rise, you get a little medal. Um, but you have to buy the medal yourself is
3: the thing. It costs about nine uh, quid. Well, that's the a bargain. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, that'll exactly. stop people from engaging in stolen valor. Yeah. W- will course. it though, C- can
2: you actually, can anyone buy these? Can I just put like, can I cover my entire torso in nurse pins and just walk through the queue at Tesco? The distinguished <laughs> yeah, nursing you're...
3: cross with bar. Everyone who's not a carer has been made redundant and has no money And so mm-hmm. only the nurses can afford the nine quid, that's why it's there
0: you have uh, to have yeah, skin. Exactly.
3: As we know, if you don't have skin in the game, there's a moral hazard
2: Mm. Yeah,
3: absolutely I mean, uh, till- I mean. I
2: suppose podcasters are still being paid Which does make us care workers mm. uh, so it, it, Where are the badges for podcasters? We're the fifth emergency service, right? We should, we should <laughs> absolutely get a little Like a microphone badge or something Emergency content
3: <laughs> You know, you, you joke But it turns out that my local paintball store Is an uh, essential industry Which means that I can refill my CO2 cartridges And get all the fizzy water I need While the world ends
1: Oh, the rules, awesome. <laughs> <Cool. laughs> <Gossip.
2: laughs> Essential people. Um, it's like the human right of people called Kyle. Th- th- yeah, it's something that was put through by a marc Francois MP. <laughs> uh, so,
1: but that's not all. That's not all. Uh, whoever is in charge of all the poppies has announced that they're doing a new and different set of poppies. Uh, Remix. So they have blue poppies and green poppies. Oh, oh, uh, uh, so basically, either you're a veteran of the coronavirus war and you wear a pin which is like a medal, or you support the nurses and doctors and you are a poppy. Uh, materially, however, we must assure you nothing will change because they've already gotten the mm. best payment of all, which is uh, boats in the Thames doing donuts in
2: support of the NHS. Yeah, it was sick. Just, just the, the, the ferry named after Vera Lynn doing donuts with the horn honking. Uh, it was. Mm. Yeah. There's never been anything <laughs> stupider. I just i I love to think about that that video of the like ferry doing donuts, and the cops all like lined up clapping all jammed together and think we live in a deeply insane country, don't we? There's yeah. something wrong with the the English psyche. Uh, that produces this kind of perversity.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, do you have dog faced uh, uh, white nationalists uh, uh, chanting outside of each of the national legislatures, demanding oh, the give right? Give it a to... minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah they're called enough. the Labour Party. <laughs> 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 the, future, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's what we have. We have boats in the Thames have started just, just, just asinine, dumbass shit to support the NHS. From going out your side and, and making a clatter, which... Yeah. And if you don't like it, you hate nurses. Well, here's the thing. Initially, going outside and clapping and making a clatter was like not official. It was just something that then got co-opted by the media and the state. And now, three weeks on, it's being like police are just getting, t- getting together in shoulder-to-shoulder conditions to salute one another for arresting sunbathers. And then <laughs> boats are
2: drifting underneath the Hungerford Bridge. It's it's a dumber version of Threads, right? Everybody's deputized, and everybody gets a little rip, and there's a guy in a traffic warden cap with his face melted off, just commanding you to clap for your food ration. Yeah. But cool honestly,
3: since the Blair years, we've been working on adapting 1984 as a manual for statecraft, so the two minutes hate was obviously going to arrive he- someday.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, did you yeah, see the, um, the enormous screen of Matt Hancock uh, addressing a bunch of uh, Nightingale Hospital workers at parade rest?
3: <laughs> Very cool. Yeah.
2: Self cool. is anyway hygiene.
3: To see. War is hmm. peace. Yeah, look.
2: Look, look, here's the thing. You
1: think that's not, that's not cool, but actually, it's just that they, we finally, per- instead of unionizing, uh, they were all given a video game system where they get to play as Matt Hancock, and they were all just waiting their turn to get their 10 minutes of game time in. Speaking of which, <laughs> if, you, if anyone develops games, please make that game.
0: What I love about Britain with this is the is this element of like I think that uh, you know like like there's been this whole brainworms thing in America where like all the libs are like obsessed with trump and what an aberration he is and like every every like fucked up dumb thing that he does they're all like losing their minds like how can this be but britain is even dumber than that because like they do all this dumb stuff and we're just like well i mean they're in charge they must know what they're doing maybe we should be doing donuts and ferries maybe that that seems to be the reasonable (laughs) solution and maybe if you're against the donut thing maybe you're a muslim
2: yeah, it's it's yeah. guided by the science, all right? Yeah. Like you have to. Chris Whitty was driving that ferry. Yeah.
3: Like, Australian <laughs> scientists. Gotta <laughs> chuck some dice, day? mate. I, I do like some evidence based policy. Hmm,
2: that's yes. right. E- e- entirely, just... like, we've been doing years long study on ferry donuts. I just. I, 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 I tweeted this very quickly before you move on. I tweeted this, but I think it's still uh, apt to discuss. How mad are the cops that they spent years doing the, oh, we're kind of like the troops, actually, thing, and at the last second they got leapfrogged by paramedics? Yeah, Ah. owned. Sorry. (laughs) Better luck next time. (laughs) Yeah, just putting a big Punisher skull on the front of my ambulance. Hey, look, maybe if there was an
1: actual crime epidemic, then you could leapfrog the the carers and become like the troops. Sorry, there's not... Better luck next time. <laughs> you lose, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, th- what this has me thinking, right, is that like, what, when neoliberalism is in free fall, in the face of a systemic crisis, having rendered material solidarity completely unthinkable, it's left with no other option than to find like the biggest or fastest vehicle it can and have it do a stunt, because it's like, look. All we can do is try to command people's attention and then hope they make a market decision to support this massive collective endeavor that's impossible in the market. So in the end we're I don't know, we're just going to replace taxes just with every pensioner getting up and walking up and down their lawn. It's like a yeah. perverse version
2: of the new oh, deal fuck. for the attention economy. You know what it is? It's truckosaurus ah. future. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, 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 I'm so into the idea that we started with Boris doing Brexit by driving a JCB through some boxes, and we've upgraded to a slightly bigger vehicle, and we will just go from there until it is mandatory monster truck rally time, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday in Downing Street.
3: You know, this is what they call a demand signal. We've replaced the entire uh, UK
2: ambulance fleet with monster trucks and you can <laughs> applaud them as they crush the cars in your street. Yeah, you can't even get people into the monster trucks because they're too high up. You've got to like jack up the stretchers. Here, here's the thing, by the way, by the way, if you want to know about
1: who's leading the charge to start like sacrificing people's lives to the economy again, uh, in the US, it's the psychotic Tea Party Coke people who are like astroturfing protests in Hawaii where people, Hawaii, sorry, Ohio. Same place Yeah, easy easy to get mixed up where people are like, I want my lawn fertilizer. I will die for the greenness of my lawn. Um, (laughs) And it's those people. And in the UK, the sustained demand to end the lockdown to like bring the economy back comes from the fucking Labour Party. So, but Corey, to answer your question earlier, that's kind of where we are right now.
3: Well, you know, it, it it feels like you guys have really carried on the old tradition since I left and there has been uh, no break in the uh in the upward trajectory of the British political consciousness and scene. So, well done. Oh, yeah. You.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we oh, we, right, are, we right. are the country that is having the most normal one and we're keeping that vibe yeah. going for sure.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. I personally am very excited for us to um fight the <laughs> fight the coronavirus and the resulting poverty that comes from from fighting it. By uh, dyeing the entire United Kingdom blue in solidarity with the NHS, we're gonna—we're uh, yeah. all the blue we'll man. become yeah. group. the blue man The whole country is awesome. the blue man group.
3: Yeah, are, are they British? Um, I mean, they do mime with a British accent, and they're in that one VA safety video, I think. Huh. Uh, mm. I bet
1: they're French. Um, probably. I, I, I want to move on <laughs> no. to another topic. Though,
3: imagining the first
0: audition of the Blue Man Group and like some big Las Vegas producer chewing on a cigar, going, "Could we turn it down from black to blue?" <laughs> they're like,
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, yeah, no, man. they're not French. Yeah, it's <laughs> that they're not wearing the blackface makeup over the blue face makeup.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, so I, I want to move on to
1: another topic, though. This is a little bit less UK. It's a bit UKish, but it's more sort of techish, which is that. Uh, Amazon is now looks like has been cleared to purchase Deliveroo. Hmm. So remember that thing we said where um, a, re- a small group of extremely powerful uh, pools of capital, such as companies like Amazon, are going to start exerting more and more direct influence and power over your life because the state just vacates those areas. Seems that's being borne out. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure oh, it's what? fine. So I've got some collateral here. Uh, the on, this is from the, the government's, the CMA's website. They say, the ongoing quote-unquote lockdown, so you know, not resorting to slang, in the UK has resulted in the closure of a number, large number of the key restaurants available through Deliveroo and therefore a significant decline in the company's revenues. As a result, Deliveroo recently informed the CMA that the impact of the pandemic on its business meant that it would fail financially and exit the market without an Amazon investment. And Stuart McIntosh, the key of the CMA's independent inquiry group, went on to say, Without invis- in additional investment, which we currently think is only realistically available from Amazon, it's clear that Deliveroo would not be able to meet its financial commitments and would have to exit the market, which could mean some customers cut off from online food delivery altogether, with others facing higher prices or a reduction in service quality. Faced with that stark outcome, we feel like the best course of action is to provisionally clear Amazon's investment
2: in Deliveroo. Hmm. Excuse me while I just blunder through this and with my one-man band setup, with a big bass drum that I have labeled Nationalize.
1: <laughs> now, Corey, one thing you talk about quite a bit is technology and monopolism. And it seems like something we're witnessing is the collapse of the competitive market and the failure of the state to do
3: anything about that in fast motion. Can you unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I have this critique of tech exceptionalism, um, which uh, I think differs from the normal critique of tech exceptionalism in that it it doesn't stop at people who think tech is quite good and that's why it's exceptional, but it also includes people who think tech is tw- quite bad and that's why it's exceptional. I, I tend to think that, like, tech leaders are ordinary mediocrities like you and me and no more suited to run <laughs> those social lives of like 2.5 billion people than anyone else. And all of the uh, reasons that people who are angry at tech give for tech's monopolies are really similar to all the reasons that people who quite like tech give, which are things like um, network effects and first mover advantage. Uh, but you know the, when you look at actually how tech companies grow, you see that they grow this way, right? They acquire their competitors. Uh, you know, Amazon runs a delivery service. they run a food service now they buy a food delivery service. and this is true you know wherever you look. you know Apple is a a, a company that grows through massive acquisitions. I, I remember there was an interview with Tim Cook uh, at the end of January last year where he announced that uh, he had bought 50 companies since the new year. Google bought 200 companies in calendar 2019. Uh, And, um, you know, when you look at what actual products they've developed in-house, Google is a company that's like a a one-and-a-half product company, right? They made a, a really good search engine and a pretty good Hotmail clone. And, you know, Facebook has made like one and a half products and bought a bunch of other ones. And so when you look around, you see that like all of these companies are growing using the same tactics, which is that they're buying all their competitors. They're merging with their major competitors and they're creating these vertical monopolies. And the reason they're able to do that is that like 40 years ago, Margaret Thatcher and Augusto Pinochet and Brian Mulroney and Ronald Reagan and Helmut Kohl just dismantled antitrust law. They they took on board these ridiculous theories of Robert Bork that said that the only reason to fight monopolies is if they raise prices. On consumers in the short term, and that otherwise monopolies are quite efficient. This is something Peter Thiel also says: competition is for is for losers, and so now like every industry has become super super concentrated, you know. And and if it is first mover advantage. And network effects that makes tech so big. Why is it that like all eyewear brands and every high street eyewear retailer is now owned by a single Italian firm called Luxotica? And why is it that all of finance is consolidated into four or five companies, and all of energy, and all of rail, and all of aviation? You know, it's it's it it's hard to see the network effects in just buying every high street eyewear retailer, then refusing to carry any eyewear brand that won't sell to you on the cheap until they're driven to their knees, and then buying them for for pennies on the pound. So. Uh, Uh, This brings me to this idea of ecology, which is that before the term ecology was coined, there were people who uh, were quite upset about whales or owls or the ozone layer, But they didn't really think of themselves as fighting all in the same corner. They were like, well, these are our issues. And the term ecology came along and turned those issues into a movement by, you know, locating a single problem that gave rise to all of these epiphenomena, the the ozone layer and the the die-off of whales. And I think we're getting there for, like, pluralism and monopoly, that someday people are going to wake up and go, oh, the reason the pro wrestlers I love are on GoFundMe begging for money so they can die with dignity in their 50s is the monopoly in wrestling leagues, which is down from 30 to One and the reason that my eyewear costs a thousand percent more than it did a decade ago is the same reason, and it's also the reason that the web is five giant websites filled with screenshots from the other four, and maybe they all have the same cause.
0: Wait, what I sorry. I didn't realize professional wrestling was like Logan's Run.
2: Oh yeah, it's it's grim, brutal,
3: and and it's been declared an essential industry.
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Amazing. Governor, Governor DeSantis, thank you. No, I, I we do have an answer to something that you suggested about the, the eyewear companies or wherever else uh, just acting like the tech industry. It's the wrong answer, but it's the answer they keep providing that we talk about on the show, is that if you make eyewear, or rather if you run a company that buys eyewear companies, you just say that you're a tech company, uh, and you, your product is in some way tech because it involves... Computers, I suppose. Yeah. Well, seeing is technology. It's, the, it's, the, it's kind it's of the, the we- first
0: technology.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, the we, it's the WeWork model. It's the WeWork yes. model. We're a landlord, but we're also somehow a platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and 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 this is. But I think uh, Corey, what you describe really is it is a vision of monopoly, and it's a vision of something happening here where the its formative dynamics are, as you say, like a, a companies that sort of that grow through acquisition but they do, they don't just grow their profits they also grow areas of the world over which they have control i don't mean geographical areas but or partly i mean geographical areas but i also mean service areas it means basically that like that all that amazon is going to be able to integrate like the work of amazon delivery deliveroo delivery whole foods and also um uh, uh, uh amazon groceries mm. right it's going to be able to take all those things together it's going to be able to work a smaller number of people harder for less money and it's going to be and it's going to be able to do that because the state as you said uh with uh, everyone from pinochet to helmet cole to brian mulroney from canada wow the hands to say we we believe the we believe the trusts are the future um have essentially cr- cleared the ground for more human suffering just so Jeff Bezos can maybe make another space program that doesn't work.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's right. I I mean, the the, um, rise and rise of monopolies is bad for everyone. Uh, In in lots of ways, you know, I don't think markets solve all of our problems, but they do solve some of them, right? Like oftentimes if you have a firm that's doing something that's really terrible, but also does something that people quite like, another firm will come along and do something complimentary and say like, here is my, you know, here is a way that you can get, say, the benefits of Amazon's book search tool. Uh, which is quite good and has reviews and is annotated and does amazing recommendations But here's an overlay that then just adds a link to your local independent bookseller And then Amazon comes along and buys the company that makes that overlay as they did with uh, the book depository And now you can use Jack your Knight, awesome Obama. indie. Yeah, right exactly. There's your, you know, your artisanal hand tooled Portland derived handlebar mustachioed leather apron alternative to Amazon is just like the Duff beer spout uh, pumping out raspberry framboise uh, um, uh, duff. Yeah, uh, it's just our, another our new low calorie duff.
1: That's right. Um, right, and I think the 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 ecology uh, analogy I think is is a good one. Right, of seeing this as a set of interconnected problems with one major cause. And I mean, I think that's not necessarily something that's super controversial for us or listeners to this show because. We've kind of always seen these things as ecologically connected, but I think one yeah, of the our listeners the, are all
2: Maoists is the thing.
1: <laughs> I th- but I think one of the one of the political developments, especially in like social democratic politics now, uh, or even like social full socialist politics, has been um, a lot of people who might have been sort of you know standard libs from watching The West Wing or whatever some years ago, having taken o- having taken that off, and understanding this as an ecological issue as an issue analogous, to, analogous, rather, to ecology. And so I think that is, that is a very apt comparison and one that would be beneficial to think of when we think about the fact that, like, you know, Jeff Bezos just took control of another bit
2: of everyone in Britain's life. And he probably doesn't
1: even personally know that he has.
2: I would say also that it lends itself to a kind of an appropriate urgency. Because when you talk about ecology in the, you know, physical, environmental sense, I think people are very aware that, you know, it keeps getting hotter every year and there's not a lot of time to deal with this. And I I feel as if that is a a comparable sense of um, uh, a drive to action that we also need for Jeff Bezos turning all of us into wax for his big shiny head.
0: Well, I'm personally
2: excited for next year's
0: Prime Day when we all wear our Prime Poppies to celebrate the Prime workers who <laughs> do important things like healthcare and Amazon Prime. And the uh, ceremonial Prime Ferry does its ceremonial Prime donor.
2: <sighs> this this kind of happened. Did you see Amazon? Uh, Amazon's military program had a special Amazon wait, sorry, challenge coin. Wait wait, 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 wait. Can we
0: go back to the Amazon military program?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 actually somewhat less sinister than it sounds. It's not the web services thing that like uh, does drone programs programming, it's their thing for hiring veterans, but they just call that Amazon Military, as if they're going to start issuing them shock batons next. Probably. Uh, yeah, of course, but they have, they have like one of the uh, we should have had an AON for this, but uh, it's a troop thing. It's a challenge coin. you have a little coin mm-hmm. with like a motivational thing on it. and they, they had an Amazon challenge coin with a little Amazon smile on it, and it just says "military And I was like,, nice. I was looking at this, and I was thinking, that's some powerful ideology is going on there." Yeah, you love to Yeah, they'll do
3: a set of wraparound Oakley shades that'll be made by that same Italian company, (laughs) Luxotica that bought all the other ones. Yeah,
2: exactly. It all ties together. You get the Punisher skull decal, but it has the Amazon smile somehow. (laughs) But. (laughs) Oh, shit, I'm going to Photoshop that now. I'm very excited for Amazon (laughs) to basically become the Medellin cartel
0: and just, like, have a huge private army and they're just, like, they have so much money they have to bury it in oil drums. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's right well that, that's essentially like Bezos's space plan is essentially giant oil drums in space called uh, O'Neill cylinders so yes he kind of is doing that mm. but I, I also we have so much to get through today so I'd like to move us on a little bit to everyone's favorite um, everyone's favorite evil part time model Hohenton That the uh, evil the twink of, of mystery yes, Hohenton That right. <laughs> that's right um, so we've, uh, we've talked about this in the past This facial recognition company Clearview Which was uh, backed by Peter Thiel And was revealed by HuffPo a few weeks ago To have deep ties to neo-Nazis Oopsie doopsie we got Nazis in our facial recognition app That every police station in the, in the US And now some outside the US Now uses to chase down chomos Still don't do as good a job it's, as Fed
2: Smoker, But still mm. <laughs> This was the one thing we didn't want to happen <laughs> we we accidentally what? built our philosopher king like uh, a total surveillance panopticon, and oops, it's got Nazis in it. How did that happen? Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: so, um, and and what and what,
1: found, what really captured me about this, right, was the extent to which this wasn't just some like weirdos who built a, who built a company that ended up. Oh no! How could I have foreseen this happening? But in fact, it was built. With the far right in mind. And uh, oh, it was built for co- cops, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so I've got some quotes in the article here. It is, By 2015, uh, Ton That joined forces with Mike Surovich. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> the the, the weepy right divorce court guy is, is, yeah, okay, cool. I, 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 don't, I, I don't, I don't, I, I object to. How do you join forces with my? Yeah, sort of I, I, this is the thing, right? I object to the rising tide of fascism. As anyone should, but I also object to the like uh, aesthetic of it, of just these kind of like weepy guys with no skincare routine who just kind of like film themselves in portrait mode, just and now have the keys to the fucking panopticon.
0: Yeah, suddenly any guy with a map <laughs> um, can be a white nationalist now.
1: Not like in my day. So, uh, Corey, you're uh, you're familiar with this uh, with this Clearview, yes?
3: Oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> Indeed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought you might have. Th- I've, yeah, I've done some thinking about I it. I have
3: thoughts about them. Um. Yeah.
1: You know, does it surprise you that they're linked to the far right?
3: Yeah. So that that obviously is is entirely unsurprising. I think the other thing that's unsurprising though is that they're just dum dums, right? I mean, I think that this is like the. The lesson of contemporary information security, right? Like, it's a thing that we learned with, like, say, the ransomware epidemic a couple of years ago, where you had people who had just, you know, found this, like, uh, loose NSA cyber weapon rattling around that had been leaked onto the internet and they glued it to some old ransomware. And then they accidentally started stealing entire hospitals. And then they were like, what do you want for our hospital to give us back our hospital? And they were like, $300? And, (laughs) you know, it reminded me of like the one time I parked a rental car in a, in a multi-story car park in Gastown in, in Vancouver when it was the epicenter of the heroin epidemic. And I left like a, a 25 cent piece on my dashboard and someone smashed the window to steal a 25 cent piece. It's It's, you know, like all of our analysis about what our threats are in tech assume that our adversaries are, you know, making good calculus. Right. And it turns out that they're making really, really shitty calculus because they're super dumb. They're just Mm. they're just not that bright and that is like that that I think is where we've we've uh, ended up with these guys is when you look at him he's not a super genius he's just a dim bulb with some off-the-shelf FR stuff and a scraper who has then made a tool and he's got some pretty charismatic salespeople apparently went around and, and you know told a bunch of cops that they could use this to solve all their crimes and the cops are like don't know how to distinguish false positives or think well about them and uh you know they priced it in a way that allowed for a procurement without a lot of uh a lot of oversight and you know lather rinse repeat and they're in in massive profit and have built this you know ghastly existential threat to our species that uh you know is not the product of lex Luthor, it's the product of you know his 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 dumb brother skippy who Hmm. you, uh, you know never never finished the second grade and has been and has been like doing coloring books ever since
2: Hmm. But if it's dumb and it works, it's not dumb, right? And this clearly, if if there's an ideological thing, what better- Like, this is a success story up until the moment that it gets leaked if you're a Nazi, because you can just be like, yeah, I got my facial recognition technology into every police department in the US that wanted to play ball, and it's uh, entirely at the discretion of a bunch of cops who are probably going to be sympathetic to the same aims as me. Uh so so like what what difference does it make if it's just if it's not particularly artisanal, right? If it still achieves the political aim? I,
1: I kind of I kind of have some thoughts about that actually, which is that you have to you have to think of this not as not as the um a, as the people themselves achieving some kind of aim, but rather as all of the individuals like Cornovich and Weave and uh Hone of course Top that he's and in stuff, this. Yeah. As all of like the mini bosses uh, all the people are just the mini bosses. They're the they're the henchmen, but the then the the big evil genius is it Peter Thiel? No, he's just another henchman. It's ultimately capital itself is the boss, in as much as like fascism and white nationalism stuff. Like they all exist to protect capital and decay, and so I think you can you can understand that these are some profoundly like you know. Just fucking mediocrities of people
3: yeah uh, how, who are how not,
2: smart is a t-cell right it doesn't
3: need yeah, to be that's what I'm talking about yeah they who are just sort of so I think the thing is that we want to we want to like understand our threat model right like is, is are, what are we what are we actually worried about and I think that when we talk about uh technological uh you know dystopia We often imagine people who are very good at what they do and taking a very long view like like, um, uh, you know, David Koch is a terrible human being, but he's super good at what he does. Right. He's got an engineering degree. He had some really key insights, like all of his competitors were had very short amortization schedules and bought a bunch of coal. Uh, Extraction and and refining tools that had like 20-year amortization schedules. He could uh, leapfrog them in productivity That's why, you know, his firm grew a thousand percent under his his uh, management relative to when his father was running it and so on Like we can at least like do some, you know, what is it that we think David Koch is after? What is it that we're after? What can we expect him to do as a countermeasure? But in this case, it's it's like, you know, a, a it, it's like trying to imagine what uh someone who's, you know, having a very bad meth experience might do if you if you intervene. <laughs> it's really hard. Right. Because they're just they're 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 acting in this like super atavistic way that would normally not uh, project their will over billions of people. Right. It would normally just result in like horrible domestic abuse or something. But now the same impulse that would normally end with domestic abuse ends with, oh, we built a panopticon that has two billion faces in it. Hmm.
2: I, I, don't, I, I don't think that it matters, though. I don't think their competence on an individual level matters, so long as there's a material explanation. They don't even have to be aware that what they're doing is, is part of some uh, sort of greater societal trend. They don't have to be aware of their roles within, within Capital. I, I don't think necessarily that they are. I think, especially like when you consider somebody like Chuck Johnson, like, noted brains genius. Yeah, that uh, that th- that guy is not having like a ten year long term plan about like the role of capital, ethno states, or anything like that. He's triggering the libs, but the way in which he's triggering the libs doesn't arise from nowhere. It arises from class conditions, and those don't change based on how good or not he is at this. Yeah, at an individual level. Uh, effectively, Culture War has created the
1: Panopticon <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, so if I, I'll carry on Well, I think um, you guys are being Debbie Downers I personally can't wait to do 20 to Life in the Tesla Epic Prison Where it plays David Bowie <laughs> 24 hours a day
1: <laughs> Alice, do d So, who else is involved in this? Um, and it's mostly through Peter Thiel Who's, like, collected this group of like, pale weirdos around himself Um, So Chuck Johnson was like the big second figure here. Uh, He told one source, this is quoting from HuffPo, late that year that he viewed the technology in Clearview as a way to potentially, quote, identify every illegal alien in the country. And in early 2017, Johnson introduced Taunt That to another source saying he was a gifted coder, maybe not, he'd hired to build the facial recognition tool. Uh, around the same time, stated on Facebook that he was building algorithms to ID all the illegal immigrants to send to deportation camps.
2: I want to know what Chuck Johnson thinks an algorithm is. Like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) just define it for me, Chuck, please. (laughs) Uh, But what's interesting
1: is that Ton Thad himself was into, quote, this esoteric reactionary sphere stuff. Yeah, it's NRX shit. Teal's super into that. I remember he was talking about celibacy and the priestly order and being celibate and thinking for the group and not having mundane concerns. Man, no, He's not into, forever. He, <laughs> he was into quasi-Catholic neo-trad reactionary type stuff, um, which is described in the article and which I think is about right as a geeky subset of the racist far right that's festered in Silicon Valley's libertarian circles for over a decade, especially within the crypto within the crypto community members revere teal microdose lsd and like to talk about totalitarian ideas with intellectualism that creates a moral pretext for them to engineer democracy um me and
2: somebody just get
1: together and talk about what kinds of blood are our favorite to drink
2: well, I mean, it's almost literally like Peter Thiel watched the 2016 election results come in on a couch with Mencius Moldbug, who is like the leading intellectual luminary of this shit. And I've never wanted to be a fly on the wall in a room anywhere as badly as the, the sort of inflection point where everything got significantly louder and dumber than with these two fucking idiots watching it, you know?
3: So so that literally happened that was not a thing that I knew about. That actually happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually oh, that's, happened. It P-
2: means came to Peter Thiel's house and they watched the election results come in together and I I, I just that festered in my brain for a little bit until I could <laughs> until I could bring it to you. Yeah. No. Yeah. But also like that's what 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 strikes me right is
1: that is again not that these dark enlightenment guys who've all you know, basically gotten high on LSD and their own farts for like several years talking about how, like, what kind of bishop are they going to be when Trump (laughs) declares himself Pope? (laughs) Right, right. These are not particularly capable people, but because all of the ingredients and the the, um, institutions and the data sets are just sitting there, they're able to just scrape facebook facebook says oh that was against the rules too bad i guess you've done it now mods mods. yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then just hand over every single person's photo and name uh to every single police force which by the way also a lot of them have been infiltrated by nazis
2: uh, right mean, well it's like ocean infiltrated by water yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> right and so you what you get is not is this is just like in the case of the of Amazon, you want to look past, as much as you don't want to look past all the individuals because they're fascinating,
0: hmm.
1: um, you, you have to look past that and see where are the interests, where are the abilities, where are the institutions. And again, Corey, you've talked about this concept of adversarial interoperability, um, which I read basically as um, a, a kind of making a program that, yeah, might sort of scrape Facebook like Clearview but doesn't do it for like Mencius Moldbug wants to be a special new kind of priest reasons. So can you go into that a little bit more?
3: Yeah, sure. So when we look at the the history of tech, this is the bit where I am kind of a tech exceptionalist. When when you look at the history of tech, you see that that one of the reasons that it's been relatively dynamic until pretty recently is that um you know the the general purpose computer and then it's it's successor the general purpose network have this general purpose character right which which makes it really hard to exclude competitors who want to add new features so like you can make a printer that only accepts first party ink but then someone else can make a cartridge that plugs uh, that allows you to refill the cartridge or or, or uh, use third party ink or what have you. And it's very hard as a technical matter to stop people from doing it. And when you look back in the history of tech, you see that one of the reasons that it didn't get monopolistic early on, with the exception of the the IBM monopoly, which, which we can talk about separately, was that um, over and over again, when a firm would invent a thing that gave them a competitive advantage, uh, a rival firm would come along and exploit the installed user base to allow them to uh, claim that other company's market. So you know the best example is like Facebook itself, where Facebook came into a market that was dominated by MySpace, which was capitalized by you know Rupert Murdoch and and seemed to have like an unbeatable network effect entrenched uh, that that entrenched it, and Facebook made a tool that you could give your MySpace login and password to. And every time you logged into Facebook, this little robot would go off to MySpace and pull down all of your waiting MySpace messages and put them in your Facebook inbox. And you could reply to them there and it would push them back out to MySpace and with a little footer that said, like, why are you still using MySpace? I sent this from Facebook. And as a result, what had started off as MySpace's walled garden became like a corral in which all potential Facebook customers could be located and extracted and you know apple did this when they made iwork suite to compete with with office suite and made it file file compatible and so on and what's happened in the years since is that av- as we've dismantled the um antitrust protections firms have uh, built these big monopolies that can extract monopoly rents and one of the things that a monopoly rent gets you is the surplus capital to go on lobbying adventures and the lobbying adventures have produced some pretty amazing dividends in the form of making illegal every tactic that big tech used to get big. So you know Facebook scrapes MySpace accounts on behalf of Facebook users to get their MySpace data. Along comes a competitor of Facebook's called Power Ventures about five years ago that makes a tool to scrape Facebook accounts on behalf of Facebook users who want to be power ventures users and facebook successfully sues them under the computer fraud and abuse act a law that ronald reagan enacted in 1986 after having a panic attack watching matthew broderick in war games that, that's not comedy that actually <laughs> happened and and, and uh what what you see now is this kind of thicket of patent law, copyright law, anti-circumvention law, trade secrecy, terms of service and so on that that um allow people who've gone up the adversarial interoperability ladder to just sort of kick it away and it's it's another reason that these firms have gotten so big and it it does have uh, a kind of force multiplier effect, in that the bigger you get, and the more concentrated your industry is, the more money you have left over to lobby, and the easier it is to all converge on a single set of lobbying principles, so that no one defects from your from your um, your position. You know, so like people look at the the tech leaders around a table with Donald Trump after the uh, the election, and they go, "Well, that's terrible. Those people shouldn't have all sat around a table with Donald Trump," and and you know they're right. But the thing that's even more terrible is that everyone who controls tech fit around one modest-sized boardroom table in Trump Tower. Like, that's super alarming. It doesn't matter who people It's a very big table, beautiful are. table, huge. <laughs> one of yeah, the biggest right. tables we've ever seen. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. King, what King is Aversary It's Erlen- a
1: spherical table. King Arthur thought he was so great with only two dimensions. We've added <laughs> a
3: third, folks. We've added a
2: third! <laughs> where, where do you think the orb came from?
3: So, <laughs> so you know, uh, So the question is like what what would adversarial interoperability do in the face of someone scraping all of Facebook for the purposes of creating a non-consensual facial recognition database? So what I advocate is that we should not allow firms to use the law to prohibit competitors from uh, from creating adversarially interoperable products for a lawful purpose, right? So in other words, like You can't invoke copyright law unless someone infringes copyright the fact that they like defeated your copyright lock to make your printer Compatible third-party ink doesn't matter because they never infringed copyright even though they broke a copyright lock And so what we do is we dispel the uh, the new statute that has been created out of thin air called felony contempt of business model. What we leave oh, intact? Uh,
1: excuse me, is that what it's called? Well, felony no, that's, what it, to, right? oh, that's okay. what it amounts to, right? But that's what it amounts to.
3: I would, I would, I would totally believe that it was called that, though. Well, I mean, it's what it amounts to, right? When it's a, when it's a felony to remove a copyright lock, even if you don't infringe copyright, then firms can deploy copyright locks in such a way that in order to do anything that displeases the shareholder, you must first remove a copyright lock. So that's like to activate an iPhone screen after you swap it from a donor phone into a into a phone that works but doesn't have a working screen, you have to enter a code to say, Apple authorized this repair, and that code is protected by a copyright lock. Circumventing the copyright lock is a felony, Under Article Six of the European Copyright uh, uh, Directive 2001, under Section 121 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act of 1998, and Bill I think a C35 in Canada from 2011, and so you end up with um, with with firms that are able to strategically deploy these kind of tripwires, such that doing anything that displeases their shareholders becomes literally a jailable offense, and so. Uh, i what I propose is not that we just have a free for all where you're allowed to do anything. What I propose is that we dispense with private law. So, you know, if you violate the GDPR, which definitely these guys did, or the California privacy rules, which definitely these guys did, or the uh, uh, Ohio um, biometric privacy laws, which these guys did, you've still committed an offense. But the offense was violating people's privacy, not displeasing Facebook.
1: Hmm. And I think one of the things that we get here as well, right, is that. I don't, I haven't seen Clearview... They haven't seemed to have faced many consequences at, at, at all from doing this. It seems like yeah, Facebook that's raises weird, an objection. Huh? It,
2: it, it seems to say something about how law is made and, and enforced, maybe. Uh... I I wouldn't I wouldn't bet anything on making on like uh, a public law as as a as a protective in this at all because the public law will just will just be enforced selectively. Uh, I I don't have any faith in that. It's
0: also just a very annoying hypocrisy because all of these tech billionaires are all like free market guys and like oh you don't like capitalism? Well, why don't you go and live in communist North Korea and see how much you like that? And it's like. Yeah, but you don't like fucking free market shit. Like as soon as the free market interferes even slightly with their like outrageous profits, they like go crying to the government and like, "Sorry, you have to make competing with me illegal." That's what the free market <laughs> yeah. demands. I
3: mean, I agree that there's that there's a large potential for law to be un- enforced unequally, but this is where the things like impact litigation become really important because when you're when you're thinking about the the uh, kind of tactical tools at your disposal, one of the things about lawmaking is that it, it beca- it's an auction that's kind of unbounded. You can always spend more money in lobbying to achieve your goals. And so uh, if you have enough money, you can make almost anything happen in a lobbying context. But when it comes to impact litigation measured against constitutional principles, The amount that you spend reaches diminishing returns pretty fast right throwing more lawyers at it doesn't get you much the kind of exotic tactics that you see sometimes in impact litigation where you know you'll hire a bunch of academics to write a bunch of law review papers or whatever to show that your position is right that also reaches diminishing returns pretty fast and so in in cases where you can make appeal to constitutional law like say max schrem did that led to the gdpr uh if you have a uh, once you pass a threshold of funding, right? Once you have, say, an, a nonprofit. I helped found one in the UK called the Open Rights Group, and there's EFF here in, in the US, and so on. Once you once you have a nonprofit that has enough money to litigate, um, and you have a constitution that has a, a reasonably well defined jurisprudence, you can actually <laughs> make shifts. Now, like, there's a big problem with the British constitution. You know, when I became a British this, citizen. This, uh... There's a big problem with the
2: American cons. What, what, what's happened to the Supreme Court, or in fact the federal judiciary at all? Uh, well, uh, this this wave of Trump appointees, uh, who uh, that's that's going to be a wild time for civil it's rights It's true, like you know,
3: <laughs> even even conservative judges appointed even recently by by idiotic people like like GW and and Trump, they tend to skew more constitutionalist than they do ideological, even though they are quite ideological. So, you know, most recently there was a, a question uh, that was before a, a Trump appointed judge uh, about um, a shutdown in I forget which state. It's a state with a uh, Kentucky uh, where they deferred to the Democratic governor over the Republican legislature by having because it was a pretty like um, plain language reading of, of the Constitution and the jurisprudence. And so, you know, again, it's like it's not like I'm not saying this always works. I'm saying that in an in an asymmetrical battle where we are massively outgunned, that having impact litigation and a strong constitutional tradition provides leverage that is missing in straight up legislative battles. Right. That that that. And, and so it's a place where you can make tactical interventions that open the space for bigger, broader uh, structural reforms.
1: Yeah, I I I think it I see this as one of many things that need to be happening. But also it's very something that you can also get it's very it's very worrying that it's sort of this is one of our few weapons that we have uh
2: in hmm. and Whereas to, the be, far right, to be staked the, entirely on 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 legal positivism is yeah. an uncomfortable well, place to be, well, I think.
1: So- and I th- it, it it's it should be we we should be looking for sort of more more things in in the arsenal like you know unionization and strike action and stuff like general like worker solidarity to like to and to face this alongside like like uh targeted legal interventions as well because we don't have much climate left as we all like to say, and mm-hmm. also the far right has just created a facial recognition database of everyone. And handed it to a bunch of to a bunch of guys who like you know have yeah been I, taking th- steroids since they were in high school. Th-
2: this is also the thing, right? Uh, is, is like if you talk about things like uh, the travel ban or um, a- any number of things involving ice, for instance, where uh, where judges are willing to intervene for the sake of constitutional principle, what happens when the federal government tells them to go fuck themselves? And th- this is not a hypothetical question. This is something that is uh, is actively happening now and the fact that it may not be happening specifically in this in this if you like theater of class struggle yet does not mean that it's going it's going to stay that way.
3: Yeah no I I agree right I don't think that this is a panacea I I think that you know in a in a world regulated by norms and technology and law and uh, and markets that sometimes when you run out of what you can do with, say, uh, technology, that y- you might be able to make a, a, a legal intervention that opens the space for a, a normative conversation that opens the space for, you know, something else. Right. That that like it's it's about, you know, sp- speaking as a, a fairly recent transport to Southern California, who's very, very bad at parallel parking. It's, a, you know, sometimes when you're trying to squeeze into a, a very narrow space, You you have to crank the wheel as far as you can go in one direction just to gain a few millimeters and then crank the wheel in the other direction to gain a few millimeters in the other direction and kind of in that stepwise way, work your way in. And I think our four directions of freedom are things that make people money because they'll just do them on their own. So, you know, to the extent that there are things that make people money that make us happy, uh, if we can make them happen, that's good. But of course, that te- generally, like what they what what ends up happening is the part that makes us happy gets uncoupled from the part that makes money, and it just becomes a way to make money without making people happy. So you know, we also need normative shifts so that people who do that are are frowned upon, and we also need legal shifts so that uh, it becomes uh, legally impossible to do it, and we have a basis for challenging it, and so on. Mm.
2: We'll, we'll get into this in a, in a in a later segment. But I I, I question also the efficacy of of, of frowning uh, that we. <laughs> Especially with, with the time scale that we're on. Uh, I, 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 wonder, <laughs> well, I wonder to what extent p- these people feel themselves to be frowned at and whether it keeps them up at night.
1: Well, let's, uh, on, the, on the subject of frowning, I think let's all get our frowns ready. Let's turn our smiles upside down and turn them into frowns. Because with <laughs> an eye to tie, I would like to, uh, and not to stop this discussion, but to move it into our next segment, which is about what people do when they can act unilaterally to remove themselves from uh, yeah it, it social was, it was like i was mattering
2: it was like i was setting you up for that segue indeed so uh, a
1: couple of uh, i never know when you're doing that a couple of weeks ago uh this there was the very rapid rise and fall uh of something called harbor which was uh, which was incredible to me because it combined the savior complex of the tech billionaire with the utter paranoia about any other human and a desperate need for transcendence beyond that and a desperate need also to continue their own levels of in- in obscene luxury while living, as Alice, you might say, uh, safe from the frowns or otherwise of the people who they have, you know, sp- so- so serially mm. uh, and systematically dispossessed. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Harbor is a luxury two-month retreat in California located focused on weathering the storm during the global COVID pandemic. Uh, Social distancing, they say, is great for flattening the curve But it's not the only option to stay safe During the time of crisis Harbor is a community of makers, thinkers And and doers That can become your sanctuary It will give you the opportunity to meet, mingle And collaborate with some of the best Forward-thinking individuals No face mask required It's fucking busy (laughs) town (laughs) apocalypse And the villa is in Southern California And the exact location will be provided To the program participants once they have applied and are accepted. Oh, so it's the bachelor. Yeah, first of all, uh, Corey, are you planning on suing the people who started Harbor for stealing <laughs> your uh, story?
3: Yeah, it it does feel eerily uh, eerily uh, familiar. But you know, like uh, the the approximate um uh the uh inspiration for my story, Mask of the Red Death, was you know this prepper movement, especially the luxury bunker prepper movement, the the New Zealand types. And and their, you know, obvious delusion that we do not have a shared microbial destiny and that you can somehow shoot the germs. And, you know, that that this would obviously end very, very badly, not least, you know, even if you succeed in, in squirreling yourself away and everybody else croaks, uh, the sanitation challenge of mountains of corpses. Is pretty significant, I, I think my, my upbringing was like tainted by by being raised by my grandmother, who was a survivor of the siege of Leningrad and lo- saw a lot of cannibalism and stuff. But you know, being the people who thrive as everything else is collapsing is not a sustainable situation. Hmm. and uh so I have a few a few more
1: bits of information about this. Uh, they They advertised a few more things. Uh, they said there were going to be drum circles in movie nights for the dozen or so guests. Mm-hmm. And they had to undertake an onboarding health check and it was going to cost $6,000 per person per month.
2: <laughs> uh, am, I, am I correct in guessing that that is literally they just like shoot you with the IR thermometer?
1: Uh-huh. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I as you're mean- coming in
0: it just costs as much as like an old folks home it turns out like for that yeah. money you could like stay at shady acres you know that's yeah <laughs> that's your alternative well, and it just well, sounds yeah. like
2: hell that's all it sounds like What well, so once again once again as with as with the nrx people it's th- the aesthetic is the thing that surprises and annoys me the the actual material politics uh yes they're very bad but they're not surprising to me they don't affect me emotionally in the same way right because it that that feels inevitable of course there's going to be this sort of tradcath weirdo around of course the the rich are going to sequester themselves like this because that's how you get the original mask of the red death what i begrudge them for is being so fucking twee about it that you have a drum circle right what what
3: Look, I mean, the thing about preppers is that when you dig into what it is they're preparing for, you find that the apocalypses that they prepare themselves for are not grounded in what is most likely to happen. It's grounded in which situation their skills would be most useful. Hmm. So, you know, there's, there's this anthropologist who wrote a good book about this um, dancing at Armageddon, this guy from Oregon State University, Richard Mitchell. And, and you know, he interviews like a, a, a retired chemist, water chemist who has put all of his energy into prepping for the future in which terrorists poison the water. And the reason he thinks terrorists might poison the water is if they did, he would really shine, right? Mm. And so, you know, viewed through that lens, like the reason Plutes want a luxury bunker where, you know, they give you a house your father on the way in and and then take $6,000 off of you and then, you know, have yoga retreats and so on, is the ability to, like, procure yoga instructors is not in most people's world, like the skill that we need when the world ends. So they have constructed a very specific kind of Armageddon in which yoga instructor procurement is in fact the skill that the human race needs to reboot itself after like an existential crisis.
0: I'm so excited for the apocalypse where there's a like complete existential shortage of tweets about come and finally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> time, we just baby. Want, yeah, we we've been joking about this for a while that in the wastes we'll just be like wandering from settlement to settlement. Like, you need any podcasters? And a guy just cocks a rifle and is like, "Keep walking."
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we we're gonna trade uh money for like. I look at a company that's created a new kind of rope tied to stick, tied to rock. And I'm like, what do they think this is going to do? Create some kind of an evil mace. You're more likely to take your own head off it off with it. And then Alice will be like, oh yeah, I bet that sounds like something one of these like slaver tribes in Kent would do. And I'd be like, Alice, did you look at the notes again? And she'll be like, fuck off. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly <laughs> that's how Exactly it'll go what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I've got some more information this is, this group of sort of you know drum circling morons who again the idea of a drum circle is it's it's no surprise that like it it is again the uh, hippie hippie pursuit of transcendence combined with the infinite um, faith in technology produces yeah. this like it, it's sort of.
2: What it's Peter such Price, a weird future. It's such a it's, weird future that you have this kind of wellness culture as the bodies pile up outside the I walls. Think,
1: I think it's not because it's fu- it was always fundamentally liberal. It was always about the improvement of the self through like mm-hmm. meditation and different kinds of oils. It's just like that got transmuted into the improvement of the self through like microdosing and transcendental meditation and JavaScript. Right, like all, it's all the same.
3: It's it's well, at least it wasn't PHP.
1: <laughs> mm. yeah. Three of your so
2: practices.
1: Yeah, so I've got some some more quotes, uh, uh, Alice, that you've uh, so, sourced from another article. Uh, Steve Huffman, the founder of Reddit, has been prepping quote ever since I saw the movie Deep Impact.
2: It's such a what? nerd thing to like get your fear of the apocalypse from Deep Impact.
1: What too <laughs> too much, too much of a pussy to see Armageddon. <laughs> um, everybody's trying to get out of the city, but they're stuck in traffic. That scene happened to be filmed near my high school, and every time I drove that stretch of the road, I would think I need to own a motorcycle because everybody else is screwed. Yes. Um, so, I Corey, need, what, I
2: need to own a motorcycle.
1: Yeah. Mm. So, Corey, what you say about people only being able to see the apocalypse through the lens of their own skills and anxieties? I think that's exactly what's what's being reflected in Huffman, where he's like, Ah, I have to stay on. I have to stay better than everyone. I need to make sure I get a motorcycle.
3: Yeah, well um, and especially if you if you struggle to like figure out how to Um, cooperate with other people and and build systems in which other people have your back not because of a transactional thing, but because everyone has mutual respect and engages in mutual aid, then you have to imagine a transactional post-apocalypse where you have enough like Bitcoin on thumb drives and, you know, gemstone quality rubies and AR-15s that you can like procure a harem and live a Frazetta painting forever. Otherwise, you know, you're gonna be the one in the posing pouch. (laughs)
1: <laughs> in fact, this is, this, this, this is um, uh, said in our next line from Huffman. Uh, he says, look, if the world ends, and not even if the world ends, we're g- if we have trouble, getting contact lenses or glasses is going to be a pain in the ass. And without them, I'm fucked, so we got laser eye surgery. Being around other people is a good thing, he said. I have this somewhat egotistical view that I'm a pretty good leader, so I assume I'll probably be in charge, or at least not a slave when push comes to shove. And this is... <laughs> Yeah,
2: I, I, I've invested $500 billion in a, bunch of, in a team of ex-Mossad mercenaries who are specifically trained to stop people from shoving me in a locker. Oh my god. I, I, I am this loving
0: is... this. That like the, guy, the guy thinks that like all the people who ended up being slaves in history were just because of a lack of leadership potential.
1: <laughs> this is huh. some business secrets of the pharaohs shit. Hmm. But here's the thing, Alice. I want to bring back a point you made earlier. Which is, I think, a little bit of skepticism that these things can be fought with law and disapproval because they're
2: already thinking in terms of slavery. Yes. Like they're already thinking but in terms they were of who's always who is going to. It's it's so, already been in those terms. So, I I don't want to speculate about the, the the conversation that passed between Peter Thiel and Mencius Moldbug, right? But like yeah. that's always been implicit in this. It's it's always been a state of uh the, the strong do what they will and the weak uh suffer what they must, right? And the only thing that they're not immune from in a in a final sense is uh, me with a pickaxe going hiking in fjordland just donking on the covers of bunkers. <laughs> <laughs> now the thing is
1: I want to um so I want to see there's this kind of tension here where we know we can make th- certain things better tactically through things like social disapproval and targeted litigation, but I'm I, I I'm just thinking like the people who are trying to make life much worse, like people like you know Huffman or whatever but who are or, or who are trying to make yeah, life who, much who's worse the CEO but, of
2: Reddit yeah, I
1: mean yeah like tech CEOs who are willing to basically burn down the world and start again somewhere else. they're already thinking sort of in a much more broadly strategic sense like the honenta that's and Chuck Johnson's of the world aren't, but these other people are. So I kind of just want to know how you respond to that tension uh,
3: uh, yeah so you know those people I think have been within the mix forever as y- as you you know as you say you go back through history and you find people who who believed in the the you know the dominion of the strong and so on, um, and I think what has changed in the in the last forty years is that rather than viewing those people as aberrant, we view them as heroic. Uh, and you know, when that, did that, that change? I when think were- it changed with Thatcher. I I mean I I'm a Pikettyist, right? I think that what happened was that the amount of wealth in the hands of the top decile and then the top percentile increased to the point where they could start to make. Uh, really serious inroads in policy and okay, in culture.
2: Okay, how is, how is this guy materially different from Henry Clay Frick, right? Well, how is he different from any steel baron?
3: Yeah, no, I, I don't think he is. I think the difference is that there was about forty years where for where where in at least large pockets of our civilization, this is the the post-war years, 30, 30 to forty years post-war, where where the Henry Fricks of the world were thought of as monsters by most people. And if you didn't think they were a monster, you were a di- you you didn't say so because you were worried people would call you a dick. It was the quiet part that you couldn't say aloud, and then, and then over the last forty years, we've been in this project to lionize those people rather than view them as as um, you know pariahs.
2: Mm, I, I I'm I, I want to I want to live in the few decades where those people were pariahs, but I, I'm not sure I have any faith that I could identify it. Now, regardless,
1: I mean, I think the the idea that is widely seen as something bad is to be these people is is good. Um, I just I I think that this has to translate into into something to do with actual political power. And what kind of dismays me is that our attempts to do it thus far have not have not really played out very well, I suppose.
2: The situation has developed not entirely to our advantage. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah no i mean to be clear i think that we need to strip the the wealthy of their fortunes to end their ability to influence policy uh and to influence norms and you know they do both right like the the point of prager you is not to get a law passed it's to make sociopathy you know, the point seem of prager like U is to
1: like the point of prager U is to check out dennis prager because that guy is hot <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yes, the, yes, point, yes. the point. The point of PragerU is to make baffling outsider art that, like, future archaeologists <laughs> will argue over what it even meant in the first place.
2: Yeah. Just, just getting my PragerU CDs and just stenciling <laughs> yeah. on them. This is not a place of honor. No yeah. esteemed <laughs> deed is commemorated here. It's just. It's memory TV for white people. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, Corey,
1: I, I interrupted you with my very with
3: <laughs> my very I, silly I, I bit. Mean, Please the, go. The point, I mean, the reason Prager the reason Prager You uh, got its seed capital was because, you know, of the bannonism, right? Politics flow downhill from culture. That, that that there are people who believe and are engaged in a project to change what we think of as normal. That's why there's an Ayn Rand high school uh, essay competition and so on, right? It's it's to uh, it's to inculcate people with the view that sociopathy is Pareto optimal uh and that selfishness produces prosperity and you know it's true that like we need to counter that ideology and we need to do that by uh enacting s- societal change but the tactics for getting to societal change include on the way nerfing down the capacity of rich people to make that argument and buffing arguments to the counter, right? It, you know, this is like this is the science fictional project of like telling stories in which sociopathic, greedy people are not science heroes, but in fact are the authors of their own misery <laughs> and, you know, die shitting themselves to death of cholera in, you know, <laughs> could, my my reboot of the Mask of the Red Death. <laughs> I was going to say, where could we have found out about that? Marvin Lau, a former Yahoo
1: executive who is now a, a partner at a group called 500 Startups, considered his preparations and decided that uh, his caches of food and water weren't enough. So pr- to protect his wife and daughter, he said uh, he was going to take classes in archery. That's awesome.
2: That rules. Oh, cool. That's <laughs> gotta... so cool. <laughs> All of these guys. I, I, yeah, I, 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 can't get, I can't get a truck. Yeah, I can't get a truck. I need to own a motorcycle. I can't get a gun. I need to take up archery. I need to be special. I need to be special. I need to be different. I need to be special.
3: Yeah, what if we yeah. have the no-gunpowder-works-anymore apocalypse? Yeah, right? Right? Like, if the laws of physics suddenly shift in this kind of, you know, catastrophic way and gunpowder stops working, how are you going to defend your your family?
0: Oh, damn, well, we are also, literally do... going to have to go crawling back to the people who studied the Blade.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Society <laughs> for the Society for Creative Anachronisms will be our new warlords. I've oh, well, b- no, been saying now, but- that for a while <laughs>
0: To be fair Buffer think-
3: swords for everyone Kneel before the buffer sword
0: <laughs> Holding France hostage with my Roman ballista
1: <laughs> To be fair A lot of those pro- guys probably are also with an near reactionary movement
3: Or maybe they're just <laughs> gentle Or maybe they're just gentle nerds Who can say so I wanna I wanna plug a book here, which is Eric yes. Flint's book, Sixteen Sixteen Thirty Four, I think it's called, which is he's a Marxist union organizer for me packing union organizer from Chicago, and he wrote military left-wing science fiction about a mining town being trans- transported through this not well-explained process to the middle of the Thirty Years' War and enacting a democratic socialist revolution in Central Europe during the Thirty Years' War because they have like a coal mine, a power plant, and a library, and they do reboot. Like, they, they create a, an advanced technological civilization uh, in the middle of the Thirty Years' War. They blow up the Tower of London. Cardinal Richelieu gets, is in for some really bad licks. It's great. I mean, it's really mm. fantastic.
2: <laughs> like every one of my mouse and blade games,
3: I've never figured out how to play
2: that game. I refuse to learn. You you just got to get the coal mine.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So uh, here's the other one, though, and this is what really gets me. More and more hedge fund manager managers are saying you've got to have a private plane, but you have to assure that the pilot's family will be taken care
2: of too. They have to be on the plane. Yeah, of course. When they run,
1: so I have
2: to like keep all of these blackwater mercenaries with their guns. Like I have to keep them in line with my natural leadership skills.
1: Yeah. I have to create, like, a Gantt chart that's going to keep them from fucking, like, taking my ears as a necklace. (laughs) uh, So that's, I think, a chilling portent of of things to come. Uh, Hmm. So I'm going to say, everybody, go get yourself a copy of Corey's most recent book, Radicalized. Check it out. Check out The Bask of the Red Death. Uh, It is a fantastic piece of writing. I strongly recommend it. And it's weirdly prescient to our current situation today. It's weirdly um, a direct description of everything happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, furthermore, you know what it is. Uh, you know you can check out our second episode every week on Patreon. Uh, and you also know that our theme song is provided by Ginseng. It's called Here We Go. Check it out on Spotify. Yeah. And I think now all that's left for me to say is, number one, thank you very much again, Corey, for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Oh, it's been entirely mutual. What a What a treat. Oh, yeah. And uh, to check us out, don't forget on, on the Twitch stream on Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday nights at nine o'clock London time. Yeah. Milo, and anything Buy else? a shirt.
0: There are shirts. Yeah. You should buy them. Yeah. You know what it Send is. Send an email. will be know how stuff to do it in the description. Send an email to the podcast yes. with your size and whatever. And we'll sort it out. We'll now, make it happen.
1: Corey, you're a busy man. You've got stuff to do. Uh, and our audience, also busy people, also have lots of stuff to do. Very so busy. I think uh, we'll see you all on the
3: Patreon on Thursday. Later. Yeah, keep watching the skies. Yep, have uh-huh. to work uh-huh. at the
2: business factory.
3: <laughs> hey, right. and check that. Check the Skype chat. I I Photoshop the Amazon logo onto the Punisher logo. Amazing. <laughs>